1: Oh, that is, that is so much better. So much better. Hawkeye Nation, this is Joe Hugan. I am glad to be back with you. A little bit of a hiatus there, but uh, glad to be right back in this chair uh, talking some Hawkeye basketball. A lot of things to discuss today. We got Michigan. We got Michigan coming up, folks. Uh, going to be a fun, enjoyable game, hopefully, for us. Hopefully not for them, but I've got uh, Steve Dace in the house to talk a little Michigan. As you know, he is your Michigan aficionado. Uh, Steve, uh, can't wait to dive in and hear what some of your thoughts are. How are you, buddy? Hey, Joe, good to have you back. Thanks for having me back, I should say. You're the host. My
0: bad. I'm used to be on the other side of this. My mistake.
1: (laughs) <laughs> hey when it's your day job i i totally understand not a problem um we have a lot of stuff to go into but yeah uh, i had seen on uh, one of your uh your twitter posts that uh if uh, it all ended today then iowa and and a lot of the big 10 teams would be considered in the in the top five uh nationally um given some of the uh the, the rating systems that are out there yeah
0: right now over at ken pomeroy's website kenpalm.com which is kind of the Chief place to go for analytics uh, heading into tonight. He's got four of the top seven teams uh, overall in the country, and his analytics are from the Big Ten. Purdue, if the season ended today, would be the fifth seed in the Big Ten tournament. And they're number 17 overall uh, in, his, uh, in his rankings. So it's really an incredible year for the league. Uh, somebody Hawkeye Nation knows very well. Uh, my old friend John Miller sent this over to me yesterday. Uh, going back to uh, 1980, Big Ten represents representation in the final AP polls. So, right now, four of the current top nine in the AP poll are from the Big Ten. And if you go back to 1980, 1987, you had four of the top 11. 1989, you had three in the top 10. Um, 1995, you had four in the top 12. 2013 you had four in the top 10 and 2018 you had four in the top 18 well if you look at those years by the way um 89 2013 2018 uh a Big Ten team went all the way to the final game in each of those years so um and I know that because it was Michigan in all three of those cases (laughs) so um I mean this is an incredible year for the conference. Uh, it's, it's as good as I've ever seen it top to bottom. And uh, when you look now, I don't know that the top and, you know, you always think of when you were a kid, you know, you, you have you're nostalgic about those days. I don't know that at the very top. It's as good as what it was like in the late eighties, for example, with the amount of star power yeah. that teams were amassing back then. But, Considering how difficult it is to do that in today's college basketball, Joe, with 40% of players will transfer at least once in their careers, one-and-dones, everything else going on, Uh, in this era of college hoops, this is probably as good as a conference can get, is what the Big Ten is right now.
1: Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask you. Sometimes it's hard for my, you know, me to wrap my mind around um, the Big Ten having this many elite teams. Um, you know, some may not say they're they're quite to the elite status yet, but I, I think that there's there's definitely a conversation to be had with th- the things that the Big Ten is doing this year. There's a lot of, of teams in the top ten that are competing really well. I mean, they're cannibalizing each other, and and you know some of the teams like Iowa have lost a few times, but they're playing really high caliber ball. I don't know.
0: Um, well, first of all, the numbers say we have several elite teams. Yeah. That's what the numbers say. Yeah. But when you look at the, I mean, but elite by this year's standards, yes. you know I mean? The teams this year aren't playing the 1988 teams. They're playing this year's team. So it really only matters how good they are in relationship with the teams in their competitive eras. And, you know, the numbers say we have several, Elite teams. I mean, if you look at the S curve rankings, for people that don't know, um, what the NCAA tournament selection committee does every year is is when they pick their sixty when they have their sixty eight teams, they rank them all one through sixty eight, and then what they'll do is when they start slotting teams into regions, they'll put them on an S curve to try to balance the competitive or, um, depth in each in each region. So the number one overall seed would then uh, face the uh, weakest number two seed, the strongest or the weakest number one seed, would get the number five team, the strongest number two seed. Now that's been altered some in the last decade and a half since we went to this pod system where they try to favor teams to be closer to home that are, in, that are top four seeds, but we're not going to have a pod system this year because everything's going to be in Indiana. So you're going to see much more of a true S-curve system coming up this year, and if you looked at the S-curve that they put out there uh, last week for their you know annual tournament or bracketology preview, uh, you essentially had three of the top five teams were from the Big Ten, Michigan, Ohio State, and, um, and Illinois. So, you know, and when I say star power, I mean, this is a great Ohio State team. It doesn't have a pro on it like a Dennis Hopson in the late 80s. There's no Glenn Rice on this Michigan team. I mean, Luca Garza is an all-time great player in our league, but from a dy- dynamic athletic perspective, Iowa doesn't have a duo like Roy Marble and B.J. Armstrong, for no. example. No. So that's, that's what I mean. They're, this is a really good Illinois team. It ain't the flying eye of Kenny Battle, Lowell Hamilton, Marcus Liberty, Kendall Gill. So while, you know, that's what I mean when I say the star power that, that these teams had in the late 80s when they were great, I don't know that these teams have. You know, there's a lot of people that think Franz Wagner's the top pro prospect in this year's NBA draft out of the Big Ten, mm-hmm. and most people don't have him rated as a lottery pick right now. So that's what I mean. Where for this year, this is this is by this is easily the best league. I just don't think the star power is as good as it was in the late '80s.
1: I think that's fair to say. Uh, the late '80s were a special time. Uh, everybody remembers the late '80s uh, if you were live. Uh, basketball has, uh, college basketball has changed a lot. Um, but I think the consistency and overall talent it has been there, uh, top to bottom, the big 10 for the last few years has been the best league out there. Um, it's, it's been exciting to watch. Luca Garza has provided a lot of fun for Iowa two years in a row. Um, should have been player of the year last year. Definitely. I don't see how he misses that mark this year. Uh, just just incredible uh, amount of work that he's done uh, his supporting cast though ha- has been fantastic as well joe wieskamp coming on uh, at a special time in the season late <laughs> which is nice uh, been able to uh kind of bail us out of a couple games that were close um but we we've put together a, a four game win streak uh now and it uh hopefully will be five uh coming up uh you know on thursday but this matchup against Michigan is going to be tough. They just came off a really good game against Ohio State, a really fun game to watch back and forth. It reminded me a lot of the Iowa-Illinois game that just it was unrelenting. A lot of lead changes, uh, a lot of transitions. But, you know, in the end, Michigan came down with the win, and they, uh, they're the best uh, team in the Big Ten right now. I think uh, this matchup with Iowa is, is going to be a, a similar game, hopefully – for us, but it seems like the magic number has been 70. If you can keep teams under 70, that usually produces a win for Iowa. Michigan uh, is averaging 78 points, and yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it that far of a stretch to to hold them under 70 points and come out with a win, but what, what are you thinking about this matchup? I know, I know this is one you've been looking forward to. Um, what are your thoughts on this one?
0: I think it's a fascinating matchup because I think Iowa does three things as good as any team in the country does protect the ball, not turn it over would be one. Um, The amount of shooters on the perimeter that they can put on the court. uh, Number two. And then, as I mentioned before, I mean, you have a all time generational player who, when you look at his overall statistical profile, I mean, you could make a case, Luca Garza is one of the 10 best players the Big Ten has had in the last 30 or 40 years. Um, so those three things, Iowa does as well as anybody. But then they have some really defined weaknesses. This is not a team with a lot with, where guys can score off the bounce. This is not a team that has a sniper. While the defense has improved, and uh, I think it was five straight games now that was given up less than 70 points. Yep. Um, it's This is still not one of the better defensive teams in the conference, let alone in the country. So it's fascinating that Iowa has very defined strengths, and its strengths are at an elite level in college basketball this year. But it has very pronounced weaknesses on the flip side. Michigan is just a dramatically different team than Iowa. And, I mean, I'm probably going to be one of the only people in our state that's watched a lot of both of those teams, I would imagine. <laughs> so, um, Michigan is a team that doesn't really have a weakness, Joe, but it's not really elite at anything either. It's really good at everything. It's just, it's not really elite at anything, but it's really good at everything. It, it's not as deep as Iowa. You know, I mean, if Fran, if Fran gets mad, he can go with a, he can shuffle in hockey lines if he wants. Yeah. Michigan has a very defined eight man rotation, and it's a seamless garment. They're all their roles fit perfectly. Um, They, uh, what makes them so tough to defend is the two point guards they put on the court at the same time. Both of those guys can break you down off the dribble. Uh, both of those guys shoot the basketball well and, and, uh, and Mike Smith and Eli Brooks. And so if their offense stalls on one end of the floor, if you go watch Michigan play, you will see a team that reverses the ball as fast as any team in college basketball. And it's because they've got two point guards on the floor almost at all times. The one game that we lost this year was the, was the game Eli Brooks was hurt and didn't play. And we weren't able to do that. And we were much easier to defend. And you saw Minnesota take advantage of that. So Iowa has um, more options. Michigan is a team with a very defined eight-man rotation where they all connect. It's almost like um, a hydra. And as long as those eight guys are not in foul trouble and healthy, it's, a, it's an exceedingly difficult team to beat. Because they don't beat themselves and they don't have a pronounced weakness. But if you take one of those guys away, as we saw against Minnesota, then you go from, um, you know, what did Michigan have? A 43-6 to run or something like that against Wisconsin (laughs) to then losing to Minnesota by 20 points in the next game. So these two teams really, in terms of the way they play, they're constructed, they could not be much different than they are.
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't think two teams could be any different than what Michigan and Iowa are. Iowa, you know, they, they've gotten better on defense, and they're, they're playing some some really good ball right now. Um, holding teams under 70 points has been somewhat the key for Iowa. Um, but, you know, stopping that Michigan, Michigan speed, their two-point guards getting in transition, that's going to be really difficult for Iowa. But on the other side of it, you know, it's going to be really difficult for Michigan finding a solution for Luca Garza. And also, doing that, you know, are you double-teaming him? Are you triple-teaming him? You're going to have a lot of perimeter shooters looking to, to sink that bucket on Michigan and get up early. And I think that's what Iowa needs to do. They really need to get on top of this Michigan team early, if they can, and, and, and put an end to them. But... That 70-point that mark seems to be the magic mark. Uh, Michigan, you know, like I said, is, is averaging 78 points per game, not that far off from, from uh, keeping them from uh, going above that mark. So I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do, but uh, it's going to be interesting, and I, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, Luka is able to uh, produce uh, his Luka numbers uh, this Thursday.
0: You look at what, the way that Juwan played Luka last year. Um, he did not double-team him either way, Either game. The first game at Chrysler, I think he set a record for most points scored by an opponent. But Michigan got well in, over 100 and, and won that game comfortably. The next game, uh, which I think was a Friday night at Carver, uh, Iowa just shot Michigan out of the gym that night, so nothing was going to work. And with the amount of shooters that Iowa has, that can, they can do that to any team in the country in any setting on any given night. So Michigan's defensive philosophy is, is very NBA-driven. Right? It's driven by NBA analytics. So Michigan has two goals defensively. Number one, run teams off the three-point line. Then number two, uh, defend and protect the rim. That Michigan, when its defense is working, it, it's predicated on you have to beat us with intermediate one intermediate two-point shot at a time. There just aren't a lot of teams in college basketball that are equipped to make a lot of those kinds of shots. It just so happens that one of the teams Michigan's going to face on Thursday night is a team that um, can make a lot of those kinds of shots. And that's why I think this game is probably going to be decided by how real is Iowa's um, defensive, I guess we'll call it resurgence, awakening. How real is that? Because, Michigan is going to put a lot of stress on that defense. Um, it's the only team I've seen in our conference that can run a two-man ball screen game with its wings. You can, you, they don't have to run it with their guards. They can run it with Isaiah Livers and Franz Wagner. Those guys can bring the ball to the court. Uh, those guys can initiate the offense. You go back and watch the Ohio State game Sunday, you saw several times Franz, or, but especially Livers, were actually at the end of the shot clock running the ball screen offense to get a basket. There's not really another team in our league this year that can do that. So there's, there's a lot of interchangeable parts. And then the one defined player on the team is that the center position with Hunter Dickinson, who trained a lot this off season with Luca Garza. Uh, They, they know each other very well. And even though hunters a freshman, he's actually 20 years old. So he's a little bit more developed. He's been Juwan Howard's pet project this year. But don't sleep on his back of Austin Davis. He's nowhere near the defender that Hunter Dickinson is. But, you know, uh, you know, Michigan had a four-minute scoring drought against Ohio State in the second half where it was the one time the Buckeyes threatened to kind of maybe see if they might go on a run that puts that out of reach. Austin Davis was the guy that broke that uh, that that drought. He's a guy that's going to, at all times, Luca Garza is going to have to defend in the post. Because both Hunter Dickinson and Austin Davis are both very effective scoring down there. Now, defensively, Austin Davis is a liability. But on the offensive end of the floor, you won't get much of a break from an Iowa perspective if Hunter Dickinson goes out.
1: Going to be interesting to see what Fran does for the lineup. Um, just to combat some of the, you know, potentness that uh, Michigan has in the transition game. Uh, you're going to see Jack Nungy have a lot of minutes, I think. But... With uh, the ability of Iowa to shoot the ball, I I feel like this game is gonna be close. But I also feel like if you let it get away from you, it's gonna get away from you fast. And by the time you try to fix it, it may have already been too late. Um, Iowa's kept it close in pretty much every single game that we've played, so I'm not too concerned with you know where we are as as far as coming back. We've we've been able to come back from small runs that have been made, but I think to win the game, Iowa's going to have to really impose its will and start a run of their own against Michigan. Uh, I don't think too many teams have done that against Michigan this year, though. So it's, it'll be fascinating to see.
0: Well, Michigan makes every team make a very difficult decision. And it's similar to the decision that Iowa makes teams make as well, which is pick your poison. Uh, you can allow Luka Garza to go off in the post. But if you double him, we have so many guys that can make shots on the outside that that makes this a very difficult guard. Michigan does the same thing with Hunter Dickinson. The difference between the two is that if you run guys off the three point line, uh, when when the ball when the ball leaves the post and gets kicked back out, if you run guys off the three point line, Michigan can put multiple guys on the court that can take that can take that ball all the way to the hoop off the bounce. That's the one thing. Michigan does not have as many shooters as Iowa does. Frankly, I don't know that anybody in college basketball does. Uh, But the one thing that Michigan can do if you run them off the line to get the ball out of the post is they can attack the rim, which is not really a strength of Iowa's on the offensive end.
1: And there's that common theme again. (laughs) How are we going to stop them in the transition? Yeah. Um, They're going to have to figure out a way to do it. And I'm sure uh, Fran's been working on that uh, all week, but... Uh, you had mentioned earlier you're talking about the S-curve um, of a college basketball selection and um, March Madness coming up. You know, I, I know that you have always been a guy who does his NCAA bracket well before um, all of the bracketologists do theirs. Uh, just wondering, uh, have, you, have you started work on that uh, bracketology yet?
0: I do that. You're right. I do that every year. I do one
1: bracketology.
0: I do it two weeks before, so it's the week before the conference tournaments and everything, just to show that it's these guys are really overrated and it's not that hard. Um, and it's actually this Sunday is when I will do my bracket, my one and only bracketology for this season. Now, this is going to be difficult, though, because we've got a lot of, of, of um, saber-rattling about sitting out conference tournaments. For example, in the West Coast Conference, Gonzaga and BYU uh, are threatening to sit out uh, rather than risk any injury or COVID exposure before the NCAA tournament. Are are we going to, you know, those are big cash cows for all of these leagues from a TV perspective. How many leagues are going to want to risk this from a, uh, a COVID standpoint, though? And then if you do have a Gonzaga sit out, does the selection committee say, well, then your regular season champion is your automatic bid. You can't sit Gonzaga out so that Pepperdine can win the tournament and steal a bid from somebody. I I think there's a lot of this that still needs to be ironed out here uh, in this final, uh, the final couple of weeks of this season. And
1: so I have to ask this question because I think a lot of people are asking this question. Um, If Iowa is able to knock Michigan off and then go ahead and take care of Ohio state, does this put Iowa at least, the very least into the conversation of being a number one seed. I mean, I I believe they should be, but w- what are your thoughts on that?
0: I definitely think Iowa is in. If that were to happen, would certainly be in consideration. Um, I, I think the Big Ten champion is getting a number one seed. If, if there's an undisputed Big Ten champion, if there's a shared Big Ten championship, at least one of those teams is getting a number one seed. Gonzaga and Baylor are getting number one seeds. And therefore, I think there's going to be a lot of variance with that fourth number one seed. Um, Is it a, you know, the Big 12 could rival the Big 10 for overall depth, but the top of that league doesn't rank as high as the top of the Big 10. But, um, you know, what, what happens if Oklahoma wins both the regular season and conference tournament? Does that give them a number one seed? Uh, I think that I think if Iowa were to win out here at the end, or win the Big Ten tournament, then I absolutely think they would at least, at the very least, be in the conversation for that fourth and final number one seed.
1: Well, and that's actually what I was just going to ask you: is if they didn't beat Michigan, beat Ohio State, and then went on to the Big Ten tournament and were to win that, if that would be the deciding factor to push them to a possible number one seed? So. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think that S curve is tough, Joe. I,
0: I think that the the closeness of teams once you get past the top four or five or six teams. When you, I mean, actually, when you get past, I think the first, probably the top three teams right now. But who knows? Maybe Michigan falters here down the stretch. But that there there really is like one games of difference between being the fourth number one seed and being on the three line where now you've got to, you've got to maybe beat two of those teams to get to a final four. So there's an incredible amount of depth there from, you know, slots four through 15, 16 in college basketball. And it's really, really close. And the difference in overall strength of the field that you've got to face to get there. And then there's another X factor here too. The NCAA announced the other day, that they're going to allow 25% capacity yep. for these games. Well, you know, if we're talking 25% capacity at Lucas Oil, you know, for my bachelor party, I went to a Final Four in Indianapolis and it was at the old Hoosier Dome. You know, if, if, if you're talking Lucas Oil Stadium and, a, you know, for a 20% capacity, what's that? 20,000 people? Because yeah, that's a massive football stadium. Yep. Even if we're talking, um, you know, uh, a the field house there in Indianapolis where the Pacers play for a game that would be, you know, 15,000 there. Uh, you know, you're still talking what three, 4,000 considering how these big, how our big 10 teams, how they have been used to playing, putting a few thousand people in an arena would make a huge difference. And I would imagine with all these games being in Indiana, but a lot a, 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 probably a, a, you know, a, a, a proportionate amount of fans or maybe disproportionate amount of the fans there are going to be, uh, you know, favorable to big 10 teams. So that's something to keep in mind.
1: Yeah. I had heard that they were going to be allowing fans, um, to participate. And I think that'd be a huge deal for all the teams involved. Um, you, you gotta think that that'd be, that play a, a huge part for the psyche of these, these players, um, it's been kind of a shame this year with Luca, with all the accomplishments that he's made and this team really coming together. Um, one of the best teams that I was ever had, uh, being as a fan. I mean, that, that's sad to me that we missed out on that. It's just not the same watching it on TV, um, being, uh, amongst the crowd and feeling the energy from the crowd. You got to think to the players to feed off of that. So it, it's just kind of sad that, uh, we, uh, you haven't been able to be a part of that. Well, um, hey,
0: Luca's got a COVID year.
1: Yeah, he, he could always
0: come back next year. Got a full year of vaccines. He could put those records so out of place.
1: Well, he hasn't. You know, com-
0: be, the Big Ten Network. will name those <laughs> the Luca Garza Awards, right? He could well, come back next
1: year. Well, he, he hasn't. Uh, he hasn't matched uh, uh, Megan Gustafson's uh, uh, all-time total. She has like an unfat. She has like a thousand more points. Uh, than him uh, in her career. She had like a 1,000 points. That's insane. It's, it is. It's 1,000 points that's, her, that's her senior season. So, crazy. Crazy to think of. But, uh, yeah, no, Luca, if you would love to come back, we would love to have you, and we'll have lots of cheering for you. Uh, we'll be in the stands. And
0: Hey, think about this, how good
1: this league is.
0: All these guys could come back next year if they wanted to.
1: It's something to consider. I mean, if you don't know that yeah. you have a, a, a number, you know, a, a good round draft pick, and you're on the bubble, I mean, I think that's why Luca came back this year, but it's definitely something to consider because of the way this year went and hopefully it's going to be better even next year. Then you have a lot of guys that have a lot more experience and you're, you know, really coming together. I'd love, I'd love to have Luca back for one more year. Why
0: not? That'd be great. I mean, who knows? I don't know what his, obviously everybody knows his dad's very involved and he's omnipresent, his family is. So I don't know what his financial situation or anything of that nature is, but, I don't know, man. It'd be it'd be awfully tempting for me um, if I were because I've already put it off for one year. yep, right. Putting it off for one year the first time is the hard part. Doing it a second time, cause now I've already learned I can live without the money another year. Now I've already learned that uh, and and then I went through a season without fans and things of that nature. I won every award. I mean, I could come back. And put together, you know, you're talking about the kinds of careers collegiately that guys like Patrick Ewing, Bill Walton, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Ralph Sampson, you know, used to put together in past eras. Yeah, I mean, I can make a few million a year in the NBA. That money will be there next year. I'm probably either uh, a spot starter or an energy guy off the bench. First few years of my career. What would I rather do, collect that paycheck, um, you know, playing, uh, uh, you know, a Tuesday night, the Atlanta Hawks and the Sacramento Kings, or go down as an all-time, all-time, all-time freaking legend? I don't know. I already passed (laughs) in the money for one year once. I don't know why it wouldn't be so hard to do it one more time. But (laughs) it's not my life. so (laughs) God bless them either way. What a what a what a terrible life that he has! These kinds of decisions to make.
1: Yeah, I mean, to be basketball's all time great, he could be basketball's all time not just a hockey basketball great, which he already is. Yeah, he's already claimed it, but basketball all time great. Well, I, I mean, I,
0: think of think I, of think of players that you thought were great. Well, <laughs> and two or three, four years later, you're like, whatever happened to that guy? Yeah, I and mean, you realize he's been in the NBA the whole time, averaging five, six, seven points a game. Well, Steve, yeah, but he's making millions of dollars totally. I'm not thinking, you're, you, I'm, I'm a capitalist. I'm the last person to begrudge somebody for making millions of dollars. But, you know, just because, you, do you want the money or do you need it? You know yeah. what I mean?
1: Oh, yeah. Be leg- so, legendary status. Legendary status.
0: Now, I don't know what the bare minimum requirements for another year of grad school for eligibility are. The bare minimum. I'd be finding out, though. <laughs> What's, the, what's, the, what's I, the smallest class load I can take? I might have to right? look that
1: up and just uh, float that over, uh, you know, in his direction. Here's another
0: angle to this. I know this is a rabbit trail now, <laughs> but you got name, image, and likeness coming down the pike. Iowa's legislature is very aggressive right now in passing this. I was
1: totally thinking that. I was totally thinking that. Dude, can
0: you imagine the freaking corp? We have a lot of corporate money in Iowa. This is like the, it's the health insurance capital of the world, for example. Dude, Blue Cross Blue Shield would not line up and hand him a blank check (laughs) to to market to millennials. Hey, here's why you guys don't go without health insurance. Oh, yeah. You know?
1: Flash that Luca Garza smile.
0: Yeah. You're not going to be on that, uh, your mama's and daddy's health insurance forever. Uh, Sooner or later, you got to get it on your own. Come to Blue Cross Blue Shield. I mean, Wells Fargo? Hey, you're getting out on your own. You're thinking about what bank do I want to entrust, you know, my hard-earned money to? Pay my bills with. I'm Luca Garza for Wells Fargo. I, I, don't, know. I don't know how we got started hey. on this. It's my it's, it's my fault. I no, I, no, I was
1: thinking that too. He'd have that opportunity. Jordan Bohannon's been one of the biggest uh, proponents of of that bill that got passed. Um, so it's it's it would be great. I, I think it, it. You've made a great case for him staying, and I think that you know it's something he should consider. I'm gonna have to.
0: I'll look. just say this as a Michigan fan. We've had a lot of guys leave the program early. You know, Nick Stauskas had an insane season his sophomore year, led us to a Big Ten championship, went pro, got picked in the lottery. He'll tell you right now he wished he would have stayed. We've had a lot of guys leave early at Michigan the last, in the, since John Beeline resurrected the program. And a lot of them would have told you, Chris Weber would have told you, hey, man, I was the number one overall pick in the draft. That was great. Made an ungodly sum of money. I really missed playing one more year with the Fab Five. Yep. That time, you're never getting it that back, man.
1: That's just something to think about. Well, I for one certainly hope uh, Luca does consider coming back. In my mind, I guess I'm just going to consider him coming back because that helps my little Hawkeye heart deal with the tragedy that uh, has occurred this year and not being able to see Iowa's greatest basketball player and uh, potentially greatest basketball team. Um, Beyond tragic. But it could all be solved. Next year, Luca Garza could come back. So, just going to going to consider you coming back Luca can't wait also can't wait for this Michigan Iowa game this Thursday going to be fun difficult challenging yes but something that I think that we can pull off can't wait to see it and uh, Steve thank you very much for coming on always appreciate you and uh, the knowledge that you bring sir Um, can't wait for this game thanks Steve you
0: bet Joe happy to do it brother good to talk to you as always